<clears throat> Good morning. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, go to the Lord in prayer once again. Father, we thank you for uh, the time around the table this morning, and uh, we thank you for uh, the time around your word this afternoon, and um, we ask your blessing upon it as we read and glean from it. Uh, we pray for those that are still traveling, um, for the Bulow family and, and any others, uh, for those that are not feeling well, for people in my family and Derek, and um, we just ask uh, for healing upon them. And, and just uh, bless your word this morning and, and help us to apply these truths to our lives and um, that we would look to you in all things. Yes, this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Uh, please turn to First Timothy chapter 4. We'll be back in chapter 4 again. Um, last time I spoke, we, we probably covered about two-thirds of it. Uh, I'd like to do mostly an overview and review today, um, but hopefully finish it out as well. First uh, Timothy chapter four. I'm going to read. Uh, start off reading here the first few verses. So it says, "Now the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, later times, some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons through the hypocrisy of liars, whose consciences consciences are seared. They forbid marriage and demand abstinence from foods that God created to be received with gratitude by those who believe and know the truth." For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, since it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. So uh, last time um, we, we covered this, we talked a lot about uh, the departing of the faith that it talks about here. It gives us this warning, right, that says that explicitly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith. And obviously there's different studies about, you know, prophecy in the scripture, um, specifics about, you know, when are these things fulfilled and such. And I'm not really looking so much to say that uh, what are the later times per se. Um, what we know is this, is that departing from the faith is nothing new. And um, I believe in the scriptures, it's pretty clear that these things will be more and more evident and more commonplace the closer we get to the returning of our Lord Jesus. Um, so what, what I believe is for us in this case um, is really understanding and being um, aware that these things are going to happen. Um, they are happening. And it, it's a very discouraging thing to see people who um, have professed faith. And then at some point in their lives, they turn around, right? They turn their back on the things of the Lord. And um, anytime we see people struggling against their own flesh and against, um, you know, the will of God, it's a frustrating thing and, and it's saddening, especially when they're people that we know and love or are related to or maybe, you know, um, had communion with at one time. So, um Paul, again, is, is, is talking to Timothy and, and through Timothy is trying to, you know, he's being used as a vessel to, to be an encouragement, to warn people, as Paul often does, of things that we should be, you know, leery of, um, but also to be encouraged in the things that are right. And, you know, how do we pursue after the things that, that keep us um, in line with what God wants for us in our lives, right? So he warns us about that, and we talked about last time, and I'll just cover it again. I, I've mentioned this uh, kind of fancy term, right, existential nihilism. I just picked one thing, and I, and I don't want it to be something that, that is all comprehensive, that this is the idea that you know this is what we're facing today. It's just something that I've noticed, right? And so to, to recap on that, um, I talked about how um, I've noticed, and even up till recently, just yesterday, I see, you know, article says physicists believe that multiverses is perhaps real and we see it in our in our pop culture this idea that you know what if there's like multiple realities out there what if there's you know an ethan that really is batman you know and it's this idea that like seems interesting and fun and we see it in movies and in, in shows and, and and science fiction and comic books whatever and it's, it's kind of sold to you as this fun thing that's exciting and interesting and make-believe. 
But then we have people who are entrusted in our society to be experts, to be scientific, to be dealing in the matters of fact and reality. And they're saying, what if our reality isn't reality, dude? Like, what if everything you see and everything you experience isn't the real thing? And there's a little bit of truth in there because it's like, well, yeah, as a Christian, I do believe that you know, there's, there's more to reality than just seeing and tasting and touching. You know, we believe in a spiritual reality. We believe in a life after this reality. They're like, no, no, that's not it. That's garbage. That's ridiculous. God speaking the earth into existence. Come on. I'm saying, what if in another life you're Batman? And it's like, what? Like, are you for real? Like, yeah, what if there's multiple realities in a way that we can't perceive it, but there's truth? There, we have perceived things in subatomic particles that insinuate that maybe there's another reality. And then, therefore, anything you know, that we can't explain. You know how you guys say, well, God works mysterious ways. Well, what we're saying is, is that this is the reality it worked out. So when Christians say, how is it possible for evolution to lead into um, the complexity of a human person from a puddle, they say, this is the reality at work, man. They're just infinite, and, and, and that's the way it is. So you see how there's people out there that are trying to take um, the natural world and say that basically it doesn't matter, right? And that's the, the they're not they won't say that outright, but that's kind of the conclusion of it. And and I see it. I'm telling you, I've seen it in people, young people, um, who basically think that it all it, the, it doesn't really matter. Basically, it, it, you know, life is just kind of like it's just a fleeting thing. And these ideas are not new. You know, the, the, even these concepts, even um, existentialism has been around for many years. But I, I see that as one part of, of the way that at least the American culture is moving and trying to perpetuate this idea that it really doesn't matter. Live it up. This is this life. You know, there could be infinite use. You have no lasting value in this universe because there's infinite numbers of you out there doing things better or worse. So it doesn't matter. And how can we not, how can you not have a young person in college or in high school hearing these things and not be somehow maybe taken up in that and then think hopeless thoughts, you know, that you're not unique and that there isn't a God and that ultimately what you do doesn't matter, right? And of course, people don't package it up typically that way. Well, we're just, you know, we're just talking facts here. We're just saying there's a possibility. But you know, we, we've dealt with this before. Even with evolution, we've, we've seen um, people like those kids at Columbine and stuff. You know, they've, they've said, like, these in memoirs and stuff, these, you know, we're just animals. We're just behaving the way, you know, survival of the fittest. And they quoted people like Darwin, people like Nietzsche and stuff. They, they quoted these people who have perpetuated ideas that are not within the scriptures, that are not aligning with what God says is reality. So what do we know about reality? Well, we know this, right? It is appointed for man once to die, but after this, the judgment, right? That's what the scripture says. We know that we will live this life on earth, what we see and experience now, and we will die, with very, very few exceptions, and then we face judgment. And what else does the Bible say? Well, it says that we do not need to fear that judgment if we are redeemed by Christ. We put our faith and trust in Christ, like the, some of the thoughts we had this morning, right, about Jesus being that sacrifice for us. So this is reality. What we do does matter. And you are unique and special. And that's something I think, especially for our young people, you know, when you're facing these lies that are, that are out there, it's easy to be bombarded with these ideas that – Hey, maybe it doesn't really matter, you know, that this is just this is just some small matrix-like simulation, another idea that's being put out there by knowledgeable, uh, influential men and women who have a lot of money and a lot of worldly success, and they'll throw these ideas out there for our young people to, to chew on. And it's scary, and I and I really want this this message, I believe what's from, from the Lord on this is especially for you young people who are, you know, going through school and developmental times, you know, and, and uh, 
I just turned 31, so I, I feel like I'm still pretty young. Uh, my back, my back doesn't, you know, says otherwise after shoveling all that snow yesterday. But, uh, but you know, I feel like I'm in kind of a, a unique um, time frame for me, especially for for like the Bulo kids, Manisa, and I just feel like, you know, I I it wasn't long ago that I remember being in high school. It wasn't long ago that I was in that transition in my life, only 10 years ago. Um, and yet, you know, I'm a little bit older and I've, I've experienced some things, some discouragement and some encouragement. And I hope that um, through God's word and for, through those experiences, maybe um, you can be a little bit warned and understand what's out there. And um, I know how it is that sometimes you're living in the moment for all of us. We live in the here and now. And we deal with what we have, our experiences. Um, but God's word is always trying to show us that next step in our lives, right? It's always trying to show us, okay, these are the things that you need to always go back to to realign yourself, you know, with what's true and what's right. You know, are you being distracted by the flesh and the, and the things of the world? Okay, another thing we talked about was demons, right? We mentioned, I mean, it talks about how. There are deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Okay, so especially in, in, in our um, culture of church, we don't talk so much about the spiritual side of the devil as much as maybe some other um, sects out there. You know, that, that they, they were big on talking about Satan this and the devil that. And we talked about that a little bit last time. And, um, and that's okay. We don't really want to focus on Satan. But... The idea is is that I know I have to be reminded that it's a spiritual warfare, right? The Bible's very clear. Demons are real. They're not a thing of the past. They have been around a long time, longer than us, and they're still around today. And they clearly have an influence. So it's not just these things of like, okay, we're dealing with the flesh, and we're dealing with people who are just against God's word. Behind those very things are the workings of Satan and his followers, right? There's an actual spiritual side of that. And and I won't pretend to know all of the how that works, but it's just important to understand that through these things, we're seeing the physical, we're hearing the, the doctrines, if you will, these ideas, these these lies. But Satan is using those things and his power to influence that, right? Remember, the, uh, the scripture talks about Pharaoh having these uh, magicians. And some people believe that maybe they were just illusionists. You know, they used sleight of hand. But I think the scripture talks about how their staffs turned into snakes, right? They were inferior to the power of God. But they seem to do some real spiritual things. And there's elsewhere in scriptures, you know, a man breaking chains seemed like unnatural strength to me. From the power of what? Demons, right? Satan has power. He has power today. Interestingly enough, um, you know, with people sometimes with severe mental illness, and I won't pretend to know all the ins and outs of that, but our scientists, again, have used practical means to take um, testings of the brain and when people say I've heard voices in my head and tell this, they're able to set up the same test that they would for you and I where there's an input you know, they see that their brain is actually doing the same thing our brains when we hear a loud sound when we hear somebody talking to us their brain's doing the same thing right, but there's no input, you know, there's no sound there's no voice in the room but their brain, they're saying they're reading it, they're like they're getting the same input as if somebody's talking to them. And you can say, well, that's this or that, you know, and explain it away scientifically. We can say it's demons. All you need to know is that people, for them, for that individual, it's real. You know, for them, they experience that experience, and they feel like something's telling them to do this or that. And sometimes those things are are violent. Sometimes they're, they're, they're self-inflicting harm, whatever it might be. Then the reality is, is that, you know, we are influenced by a lot of things that we don't understand sometimes. But there's no need to be scared or worried or confused. We have God's word right here, you know, and that's a big part of, of what 
we're going to get into is, is just how to combat these things, how to stay not confused, how to be aligned with what God wants for us. <clears throat> so again, when I talked about that idea, it's just one idea, right? There's still a lot of other religions, quote unquote, out there that try and sway us where you have, you know, a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of, you know, Jesus's grace, his death on the cross, you know, that's all important. But and then what do they do? They add on. You know, to confuse people, they add on and say, but it's a little bit more. You know, there's a little bit you can do. There's a little bit of, of mankind in this. Um, you know, there is, there's no resurrection or there's no this or that, you know, and then they take away from the scriptures and they add to. Those are also distractions from the truth. Okay, so again, there's just a lot of different things that can pull at us um, and we have to be careful of. Um, so it goes on, it gives specifics, right? And, and I don't, I thought about this, the abstaining from marriage and foods. It doesn't seem like something at first that, that we really deal with. You know, um, we know that in the time of Paul, there was a lot of that. Okay, you have to, you have to understand that you're coming away from the old practices of the law. So food being one of those things, you know, hey, there's, there's things that you can and can't eat. Right, but Paul's saying no. We've been freed from that. There's this is a new covenant, but but you know people were still dealing with that. But even today, this is not completely lost. Right, there's still Judaism today, and there are those that believe in abstaining from certain foods. Even within Islam, there's which is a hugely popular religion. There's abstaining from certain foods. So this is still evident today that some people have this idea about the way food should be treated. And God's saying, well, it's different, right, in everything in Thanksgiving. So understand that that's still even even true today. And the same with marriage, right? And this is a little different, but um, we clearly, the Catholic Church is a, is a pretty big organization, if you will. And there's some abstaining from marriage there that they believe is biblical, that isn't necessarily biblical, right? So there you have, again, another very popular belief that... For some of their members, they believe it should not be married. And while Paul does say that there's this idea that if you can abstain from marriage, like I did, go for it. But, but, and, and, and it's a big what if, you know, you, you should not burn with lust. And that marriage has a very valuable place in God's kingdom. It has wonderful examples um, that you should be fruitful and multiply. And all these things, right? So, again, it's comparing the teachings of man, which Catholicism has, versus what God says, right? And then even more than that, and I see this without getting too in-depth, I mean, marriage is being destroyed by our just everyday culture. Um, well, I, don't, I don't know the statistics anymore. One out of ten, maybe, you know, is, is until death do our spark. Maybe that's high, right? Hopefully within... Um, you know, amongst believers, it's it's much more successful. But uh, you know that that's just the way it is. And so many times that I've talked, you know, to to coworkers or whatever, like yeah, I've been married twice. My second wife doesn't even know about my first marriage. I don't count it. Um, or they're like, I you know, I was married once, never again. It's a waste of time. What was the point? And I'm like, I get, I, I almost understand why. Like you you know, you, you did all that. You had a ten thousand dollar wedding for three months of marriage, you know, but again, it's the idea because going into it, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a cycle, right? You know, if your parents treated it a certain way or, or your culture around you treats it a certain way. And then, you know, you go into marriage, like this is just kind of the thing you do. You know, you've been dating for six months, a year or whatever, and eh, might as well make it official, you know, but it's not a biblical look at marriage, right? The commitment is out the window. You know, people think if I'm in love, we get married, and when we're not in love, either one of us, we're done, and we move on. And that's not what the Bible teaches. So again, there is an attack on marriage. We see it today, and it, it happens in different ways, right? So there's abstaining from marriage, and then there's just a forsaking of marriage almost. That the, the idea, the whole principle of it, the the um, you know the covenant before God, what it symbolizes between Christ and the church, His church, it's just out the window. So. Um, we do see these things today. <clears throat> Let's move on, uh, reading verse 6. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus, nourished, nourished by the words of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed. 
But have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. For the training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. For this reason, we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. So faith and good doctrine, as it says, is uh, nourishment. These are how we're nourished. Uh, and this translation says, nourished by the words of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed. It comes back to that, right? We need faith. We need good doctrine or good teaching. You know, the truth that comes from God, from his word. That is how we're nourished by other things we are essentially destroyed. And it talks about, um, in some translation calls it wives' tales. It's always funny to me because my coworker, I said old wives' tales once, and I, you know, enunciated, I guess, enough that he said, what did you say? I said old wives' tales, and he said, wives' tales. And I was like, no, wives' tales, old wives' tales. And he was like, I thought it was old wives' tales all of a sudden. You know, he's like 35, you know, and he's like, my whole life I've been lied to, you know. I thought it was old wives' tales. I was like, there's a lot of things I think we always say it, and, you know, I thought it was library for the longest time, you know, there's an R in there. You know, but we just say things so quickly. Right, but he thought it was old wise tales. And no, it's the old wives, you know. It's supposed to be like, you know, these old, you know, wives are all knitting and sitting there and telling these stories that aren't true. You know, that's the that's the mental picture there, right? So, but I mean, apparently, like, this was, you know, a term used even back in King James Bible, right, and, and New King James. So the old wives' tales. But it basically, how do you deal with old wives' tales, you know, if you pee on a fruit loop and it turns purple, you know, you're having a boy. You know, I'm serious. And my wife, you know, she went off with that stuff. You know what I'm talking about, right? All those things where you, you're like, if you crave spicy food, you know, the kid's going to have a ton of hair or, uh, you know, if you know, the moon's up in over here on a, on a Thursday, then, you know, you're going to have your baby tonight. All those things, right? That's old wives tales and stuff that like people swear even today in 2022, they're like, it's true. It happened to my sister, you know, and it's like, oh, there's nothing, you know, I don't know. Like, how would that work? You know, <laughs> like, it's fruit loop one, maybe. I mean, you know, like, you, you know how you get a, a test, right? I mean, so there's something in there that we confirm that you're pregnant, but it's just weird stuff like that. And I'm just like, it's crazy. But, you know, people have fun with it or whatever. That's fun. But how do you prove wives' tales or rumors aren't true? Well, you you prove it out, right? I mean, you go to the science, you know, you do studies, you, you ask people that you trust. And, and with everything, <clears throat> we go to the scriptures, right? Good doctrine and faith. That's where it starts. Don't give in to wives' tales, whatever those might be. You know, things that lead you astray um, that are just not true. You know, don't just go along. <clears throat> I think of um, in Acts chapter 17, it says, uh, verse 11, these, talking about the Bereans, were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Right? They would actually search out the scriptures to prove about what Paul was saying, right? Because they just didn't want to just take it, right? And, and that was captured in the scriptures, like, hey, these people, like, we probably all heard them at some point in a message, right? The Bereans, the good Bereans. These, these group of people that um, are identified as having proving they were more fair-minded, it says, right, that they just, they were cautious. They had uh, healthy skepticism, we'll say. They they just wanted to make sure that they were acting on something that was true. And where did they go for truth? They went to the Bible. And that's how we should be. We should be searching God and his word to know the truth and avoid wives' tales or lies or false doctrine. You must exercise your mind and heart with godliness. So uh, let's turn to Ephesians uh, chapter 6. I think you know where I'm going with this. Ephesians 6. I'm going to... Start in verse 10. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. 
Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil or the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist the evil the evil in the day, and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith and which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrow, arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request. And stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. So the scripture says to take up the full armor of God, right? It starts with salvation. Um, not in the order of the verses, right? But it starts with salvation. You know, if you're not saved, you are not going to be adequately equipped to determine truth. You don't know the truth. First John talks about that a lot, right, as well. You know, you want to know love, it comes from God. If you don't know love, God, you don't know love. You think you know love, but you don't, because love comes from God and he is love. <clears throat> so it starts with salvation, being in full acceptance of Jesus Christ as the only way, the truth, and the life for us. That's where it starts with, right? What holds it all together? Truth, the belt of truth, right? We understand, you know, we get this nice analogy based on, you know, how we understand, you know, what the body is protected by and, and you know, this armor of God. You have a helmet that protects your mind. That's one example, you know, idea behind a helmet, right? Protects the, the brain. You know, we need salvation to protect our minds, if you will, from evil lies, from deception. We need the belt of truth to kind of keep it all together. That's, again, kind of alludes back to what we're reading in First Timothy, this um, good doctrine. Then we have, you know, the sword of the Spirit, which we read elsewhere. It pierces and it divides, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Everything that's behind what is really there, right? When you're, you're, even when you're talking to someone, sometimes you're like, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying to me, but I don't understand the why. I feel like there's a motive there. I feel like there's something behind that, you know, and I don't get it. Like, what are you really after? You know, and that could be with people that we know and love. You know, sometimes we, we don't say what we really want to say. You know, sometimes we're frustrated and there's, you know, we're doing something almost, you know, subconsciously. You know, my mom used to accuse me of it all the time, especially when I first moved away. She just always felt like that first few times, like where we get back together, you know, after I haven't seen her for six months to a year, she just felt like I was extra annoying and, and, and irritating. You know, and I, I didn't understand. I was like, I don't, I'm just being me, you know. But I, I don't know as I look back, you know. I'm, I, I was extra sarcastic with her and sometimes hurtful and really hurt her feelings. You know, and, and, I, and I explained to her, I was like, you know, but I feel like you have a warm-up period. You know, like you're, you're just upset with me, you know, like right away. And, and you got no, like, and so we spend the first three, four days of our one week together and we're like mad, you know, at each other. And, and it, it took like two years, you know, like three or four trips to kind of get rid of that, you know, but the bottom line was, is she told me how I was feeling, you know, she said, you know, you, you, I think it's this, you know, and I think you're, you're mad at me for this or that, you know, and, or whatever. And I was like, how do you know what I'm mad at? You know, this is my, you know. but I realized after a while that, there, there was something there. I realized, I'm like, I don't know why I, I behaved that way. You know, there was something behind my actions that I hadn't even really grasped, you know. And it wasn't resentment or anything crazy. It was just fears or, or you know, um, frustrations or something, you know. And I think she had the same thing. There are some things there that were reacting to that. And the bottom line is, is that, we don't always know what's behind even ourselves, but this word of God, the word of God is like a sword. It cuts right down through those defenses and it's able to say, this is the mind of man. You know, these, this is the mind of mankind. You know, these are why this is, this is nothing new. You know, people have been this way for a long time. They act out of selfishness, you know, and so what do you, when you need a reset on what love is, what do you go to? 
You, know, you go to 1 Corinthians 13. You go to 1 John. You, know, you go back to, okay, God is love. Love is not puffed up. Love is not this. So we need that truth in our lives. We need the word of God. You know, we need the shield of faith, right? Faith is a big part. There's a lot of unknown. And it's not always faith in the things that um, we just have no idea about, right? This blind faith. It's stuff that we know is true, but we always can't understand every little thing. You know, we, we talked about things this morning um, right after the meeting about, you know, confusing words or, or ideas that sometimes we just don't have all the answers for, right? It doesn't change how we feel about the person of Jesus. It doesn't change how we feel about the origin of, of, of who we are in the world around us. We can't explain everything. But that shield of faith is, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I committed to him against that day, right? I'm protected, I'm saved, Jesus is the truth of life. I don't know all of what that means every in every way, and I, you know, but I love finding out more and more as I as I know him and as I read in the word and as I learn from others who are also experienced. Right? So we have the shield of faith, we have the sword of the spirit, we have the helmet of salvation, right? We have the belt of truth, and then what do we do with it? We walk in peace. You know, we don't go out there and just attack people, you know. Uh, sometimes it feels that way. Sometimes people do that, you know. They, they're like, I'm equipped with the armor of God. I'm going to go do battle. And um, and then they hurt people. You know, that's not the intent, right? But there are times that we have to be on our feet and we have to defend ourselves. We have to um, cut through to somebody for them to understand how they're hurting themselves or how they're missing the point. But the bottom line is that our feet are prepared for peace. You know, we're, we're, we're going to battle against principalities and, and evilness, but we're going in peace. Jesus is, is trying, you know, he came to bring peace, not in the way that many people hoped at that time, but in a way that, that ultimately he's bringing peace to our souls, right? And so that, that's what we're doing as well, hopefully. With a peace that passes all understanding. And we use that faith again as, as a shield against the lies and all the arrows of the devil, right? It talks about how these lies, they come at you, right? We talked about that one idea that's going around, you know, but that doesn't cover all of them. You're, we're lied to in so many ways. There's so many ways in which Satan is trying to influence us through other people and through ideas, right? We need that shield of faith. So let's go to verse uh, 12 and back in 1 Timothy 4, or starting in verse 11. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, give your attention to public reading, exhortation, and teaching. Don't neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Practice these things, be committed to them, so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Remember, Timothy is, is talked about as being a young man at this time. Um, yet he is entrusted with so much spiritual responsibility, practical responsibility as well. Right? And so when I think about this, don't despise your youth. Um, I kind of see it in, in a few different um, perspectives. First of all, none of us, we're all young and old in some way, right? Depending on, you know, kind of context. You know, we joke about it. You know, you, we're all at a different place in our lives where, depending on who's around us, who we're talking to, we're, we're younger or older. I always thought it was interesting um, in Vietnamese, because uh, I had uh, Vietnamese friends, I, I might have shared that before when I was younger. Um, they explained, and I was trying to learn a little bit about their language, it was contextual, I didn't know that word at the time, but it meant kind of like Spanish, depending on who you're talking to, you change the words you use. You know, and for us, you know, you just add Mr. or Mrs., you know, or, or yes, ma'am, yes, sir. There's, this is about it. But in Vietnamese, the word, there's tenses of the word, but they would change if they were older or younger. So it, and it was kind of disrespectful if you spoke 
you know, if you said this words like, may I have a sandwich or may I go, you know, may so-and-so come out and play with me. Well, if you said it and you weren't use the words like they were younger, that was disrespectful, obviously. You know, but it was weird to me because I, I was like, how do the words change? You know what I mean? Like, I can't just start it with ma'am and then say the words normally. Like, no, all the words change or several of the words. I'm like, oh, I don't get it. Right. But it's just interesting. You know, there's a respect built into the language so that every word you say, you have to remember who you are in relation, you know, you know, again. So um, I thought that was neat. And there's, there's probably a lot of languages like that. But um, we're all we're all in different places in life, right? But we all need to understand that when it comes to youth, there's no we should not despise it, we should not belittle it, we should not discount it, right? So there are those that we and it's frustrating, especially in my job, because I deal with younger people now for the first time in you know in my career I'm finally dealing with the with the kids you know with the next generation and there's so much I'm frustrated and rightfully so at times but then I think back and think okay but I felt frustrated with my leadership I felt frustrated sometimes with my parents I felt discounted at times and now I get it because a lot of the stuff I did and said was dumb <laughs> this is the way it is you know I didn't know anything but there is that sometimes where I know when I went back and I had something that was true. I had something that was fresh and new and it was discounted and not out of spite necessarily, but it was just because it was wrapped up in so much dumb stuff because youth are sometimes often dumb. But this is a reminder to us to understand that we can't just discount youth because, you know, so so much of it's folly and immature. Right. So it's a good reminder for all of us. Right. Whoever that youth is, and you know, even for you, Ethan, Titus is going to say something sometime or something. And you're going to want to be like, you're a kid, you know, throw it away, like all of it. But there's things that we can all learn. Right. So there's that perspective. Um, there's the perspective also of not ourselves despising our own youth. OK. And I think that's important because I think especially for you young people, it's easy to. Allow your youth become an excuse for what you're not doing that you should be doing or what you're what you're doing that you shouldn't be doing. Right. And so it's just the way of the world to say, hey, you're young. It's OK. Now's the time to go out and do whatever you want, because you can only spend so much time in juvie or whatever. You know what I mean? Like you're not even 18 yet, man. Like, go for it. You know, now's the time to, to live and learn. And when you're new to a process, you know, you're going to work at as a barista and you mess up making a coffee. That's expected. You know, no big deal and to me. I mean, you, you got to learn. It's OK. It's new. It's OK to make mistakes. Sure. But on a spiritual side, when you know what's right and wrong, when you have it, you know how to read. You've been given the tools to succeed. Messing up is a big deal, even in your youth. And there are plenty of men and women who will tell you. Um, like we had a couple weeks ago in, in, um, uh, with a testimony shared, you know, that there's things that people still look back and think, I wish I didn't go through that. I wish I didn't have that in my life, you know, and I made mistakes and don't get me wrong. There's healing, there's forgiveness, there's redemption. Um, God will still can and will use you when you come away from that. But at the end of the day, it's still wasted time. And in your youth, you have, it's almost the opposite. You have the most energy, and sometimes you have the most impact in some ways. In some ways. And yet, God wants us to know, don't waste your youth. Don't discount it yourself. Don't despise your own youth. Don't say, hey, I'm young. I don't know any better, so I'm not going to try. Or I'm not going to go do that. Or I'm not, it's not a big deal. You know, I'll deal with that. I ran into Caleb Harris, actually, um, this past week. We were getting our hair cut at the same time. And uh, we both, I think, connected about how we find ourselves, you know, we, we're young dads, you know, we got kids, you know, we have a place in our career where it's just like, we feel like we're always working towards something, you know, you're always working towards a financial goal or, you know, you're, you're thinking when I get here, then I'll be good. You know, when I get here, then I'll be able to do all the things I know I should be doing, and you know, that'd be helpful or whatever. And we both like, yeah, man, like, that's hard. Because we know, but like, in the reality is I know better. 
I know that if I just wait till I get to here, and when I get a nice house, then I'll be able to be hospitable. You know, when I get a nice, when I get financially set up, I'll be able to be giving. You know, but I can't right now. When I when I get, when my kids grow up and they're out of the house, you know, then I'll give my time to God or whoever. Right? It never ends. Right? I mean, I think we all know that. We've all felt that way before. It just never ends. And it's okay to have seasons. There's going to be times where things are easier or more difficult in some way. But at the end of the day, you know, we're supposed to do what we're supposed to do. And if God calls you, and only you know, really, but a lot of it's laid out in Scripture for us, we've got to do what we can. You know, and if you just find yourself saying, well, one day when I've, I've reached this maturity or I've reached this goal, then I'll start. It's never going to come, Right. So I think that's kind of wrapped up in the despising your youth as well. So, again, don't use your youth as an excuse for not going on. Look at Timothy. Look at Samuel. Look at David. Look at Esther and Ruth, all depending on, you know, all a little bit older, or, or, but all described as young people, you know, and they did phenomenal things for God. So you've got to go out there and you've got you to set your faith in Christ and, and, and do it now, not later. It talks about how you have a gift within you, right? Like, again, you've got to use your gifts, right? And there, we have a whole list of spiritual gifts, um, but you have natural talents. You know, you are who you are. You're unique. We talked about that, right? You you are a redeemed child of God. You have to use that gift within you, right? And you and you and Timothy's, you know, being reminded here that you know the elders of the church and stuff like they they worked with him they prayed with him they laid hands on him and they, they encouraged him and said go and you know do you know be who you were meant to be be an encouragement and I'll, I'll wrap it up here <clears throat> um of course I, I i have to mention so it says don't let anyone despise your youth but set an example in what? Speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. Right? And again, what else are you doing? Reading, exhortation, teaching. Don't neglect the gift. Practice these things. Right? Be committed to them so your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things. For in doing this, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. Right? This is mutually beneficial for you. And for those around you, right, you, when you, you find that when you teach, and I'm not talking about this necessarily, this is part of it, but when you take time to mentor somebody who's a little younger or whatever, you, you feel like, you know, you realize you develop yourself, right? And then you're giving something back and it's for you and it's for them. So that's a good part of, of you know, just the, the saving yourself and the others, you know, you're, you're living out what God wants you to do. And, and it, it's it's constantly renewing you and those around you. Again, I don't I don't think you guys understand um, how much, especially young people, I think, um, encourage and discourage people. You know, because uh, and I'm not to scare the Bulow family or anyone, but you know, I, I know for me as a as a dad, you know, I, I'm always worried. You know, my kids are younger right um, now, but you know, so most of their mistakes are just in the house. But eventually, I know that they're going to grow old, and they're you know they're going to they're going to have more and more influence in the world, and they're going to you know kind of branch out more. And it's scary to me, you know, spiritually. You know, knowing what I know, I know that they're going to be challenged, and I'm, and and I trust God, and I and I you know I try to raise them the right way. But eventually, you guys are going to do what you do. You know, you're going to be adults. You know, and you're going to have to make decisions. And I, and I know I speak for, I think I speak for everyone when I say that we, you know, we want to be encouraged by the young people. And, and it's a big, it, it affects us. And it's not just the people related to us or even in the assembly. I think, you know, we, we see that, you know, when we see young people, we really watch them and observe them. Because we're always like, what, this is the way, I know how it was for me and everybody that I've come up with, all my friends, all my family. I've seen the ups and the downs, you know, I've seen people be really encouraging. I've seen people just leave and turn around and, and go the opposite way when it comes to things as spiritual. And it's like, okay, but we're watching the next group, if you will. You know, and we're like, how's it going to be? 
You know, what are they going to get wrapped up in? And then we see challenges where like, I've never done that. I've never faced that kind of lie. I've never dealt with that kind of situation. That's crazy. How would I, how would I even gone through that? And then we watch you guys, you know, and so often we're encouraged and then often or not, we're, we're discouraged when we see people fail. And it's not to put that on you, Ethan, or you, Vanessa, but, or you, Matthew, but we, we have to, we're waiting to see, you know, and there's so much encouragement um, that I've seen. And then there's a lot of heartache. And uh, I'll leave you with this. Uh, you know, I had a young man when I was young. Um, I went off to um, uh, the, the Bible conference in Baltimore, Maryland. So there's an assembly there, right? They do it every year. And it's a really fun time, you know, a lot of uh, messages, and then we go off to the Inner Harbor and, and hang out. And uh, there's a young man that, that was local there who attended the, the conference. Um, his name is Alan, and he was just the cool guy. You know, like he was, he's a little older, you know, I was probably like 12, 13 maybe, and then he was like 16, 17, you know, he, had, he could drive. And uh, very musically gifted, you know, um, and we would do skits, you know, and I would do sometimes get involved in skits, but he was really good, you know, like, just funny, just talented, good-looking guy. Just I remember me and, and my good friend Nate. We were like Alan's cool, and we even got to stay with him um, on one of the trips. You know, stay the night. This is like a full weekend thing. But Alan was just cool, you know. And and there was nothing about him at the time when I first met him. You know, he was just he seemed grounded, you know, in in things of truth, and he was an encouragement. That's what he was. And I remember one year I went, you know, the third year, second, second, third year. Now I've known him two, three years. I really didn't see him outside of that. And I go back and now he's college age. And I'm like, where's Alan? You know, I asked one of the elders there, like, where's Alan at? And he's like, Alan's not doing so good, man. You know, I'll be honest with you. Alan's kind of got wrapped up in the wrong crowd. Um, there's drugs and stuff and he's just not, he's not doing well. You know, he's. I don't really know what to tell you about that. His the spiritual side is just not doing well. And I remember how I felt. It was so discouraging, you know, because I just felt like not that I was doing battle with, you know, Satan or anything. I wasn't like I was, you know, you know, I'm fighting, you know, I'm, I'm living for the Lord in, in the best way. And, and now no one's going with me, you know, but I, but I still felt like who else is going to go? You know, who else? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I, I was at least still in the church and I was still, you know, you know, um, following after God. And now Alan, who I looked up to, who I wanted to be like, he's not around, you know, he's not doing that. It was such a, a heartbreaking thing for me, for my friend, for probably a lot of other young men, especially in the local assembly. But here's the good thing to know. Alan, after, I don't know, a few years, I, I prayed a lot for him. I know a lot of people did. I, and, and I don't know, I, I can't tell you what all happened, but he came back to the Lord and um, is very, I mean, even today, he married a, a, a woman who's extremely, has always been, who's never had a moment of, of lapse, it seems, from what I know of her, right? And so they have this beautiful family. They got like three kids of their own. They're going to the assembly there, you know, and uh, and I've since been back to that church, you know, in the first meeting, and then I watch Alan stand up. It's a big, kind of a bigger church, you know, and I see the back of his head, and he's sharing something in the morning, you know, almost in tears, you know, about Jesus. And I'm just like, it's a great feeling, you know, because I just, I don't even know how much he knows about that. I don't think he honestly knows. I think I maybe said something to him one time, like, hey, man, I just want you to know, you know, you really encouraged me lately. But I don't think he knows how, how hurt I was to, you know, because he, he was just living his life. You know, that's, I mean, it's just his life, right? Like, we're all going to, you're going to feel that feeling like, this is my life. I'm 18 now or whatever. I'm going to do my own thing. You know, I'm living for me. And that's, people are going to tell you, like, hey, man, you got to do something for yourself. You know, you, you got to live your own life. I'm here to tell you, it's not your, it's not your life. I mean, it, it is, but whether you like it or not, you're an encouragement or a discouragement. And there's no way around that. You know, and you're going to, people are going to look back and, and you might say, you lost a year of your life doing stupid things, you know, and yeah, it's a learning time and God can change you and stuff, but I promise you it has an effect. And if you don't think that Titus or, or Danny or anybody on even people you don't know, they're going to be looking up to you, you know, they look up to you guys. It's very important and it's not to scare you or anything, but I know my brothers, every time I see them, they tell them something new, I'm like, Hey, remember that time you did that? And mom thought it was our fault. And I'm like, 
oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, like, I didn't know you were, you know, you were paying attention, or I didn't know you do that, like, yeah, you know, my brothers are always telling me, you know, all the things they watched me do, and I'm like, I messed up a lot, you know, I did a lot of things that are not a good example, you know, and I hope that there's some good things in there, too, but the bottom line is, is that it's not just your family, you know, 15 years from now, I don't know where I'll be, but somebody will come on, like, hey, you know the Bulos, you know, I'm like, yeah, and I'm like, How's Titus doing? You know, how's Ethan? How's Vanessa? You know, wherever, you know, I'm going to want to know that. And what I hear is going to encourage me or it's going to discourage me. And, and that's the reality of it. So we all have to take responsibility for our decisions and our actions and know that we encourage like Timothy was told to do, or we become the shipwreck and we get put in the word as, as somebody who says, hey, not like these two. Don't be like them. But uh, So I hope that you take that and, and, and you remember that ultimately, if you align yourself with the word of God, you seek after Christ, there's only redemption, love, truth, healing, and it's never too late for that. You always seek after that. And you'll be like Alan, who's an encouragement to me and many. Let's pray. Father, again, we just uh, thank you for your word. and We ask that you help us to apply it to all of our lives, not just uh, those who we believe are quote-unquote young, but all of us are young in our lives. To uh, We have plenty of time left to continue to work for you and to, to um, live out your word in our everyday actions and our words. Um, help us to do that, Lord. Through, through your spirit, encourage us and help us to encourage each other um, that we're mindful of what we do and what we say and um, how we interact with those that are not saved and those that are, um, that we treat each other with um, with uh, Jesus in mind, with, with his goals and his, his love and, and the way, see people the way that he sees us um, with love, even though we don't deserve it and that we're not conditional with how we um, deal out our, our good fortune to others and, we just ask this and uh, that you, again, daily remind us on how to do that and uh, help us to grow in maturity and faith and love and peace. We ask this in your name. Amen.